welcome to Galaxy Brains. The weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. Yo, I'm back from the scrap with another mean verse. Rolling past through the back in another green hearse. Carting out the money cause it's time for rebirth, yo. Another day, another dollar, and it's time to find another way without a collar and another rhyme. To have my say and never falter, yo, I'm just in time to see the future as it peers through the dust and grime. Lot of problems gotta fix, yo, decentralize. Throw your hat into the mix and conceptualize. Systems are corrupted, but we know they're cronies. Fine, today we're talking DeFi with the homie Tony Kai. Did you know that the kids are dropping USD? Watch a bitch of Todd Stritch is swapping DLC. Plant the message deep down like a seed. And I'm colder than the storage that keeps my money free. As always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, head of firmwide research at Galaxy Digital. Thank you for listening to Galaxy Brains. We have a great show for you today. As I said, Tony Kai, founder of Atomic Finance, is our guest. We'll talk with Tony about building DeFi on Bitcoin. It's a fascinating conversation. And of course, we'll check in with our good friend, Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading, as always, to talk markets. But before we get to that, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer in the podcast notes and note that none of the information in this podcast constitutes investment advice or an offer recommendation or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. I just have to follow up. We're watching the uh, Sam Bankman free trial. And um, Finn, did you see that uh, Caroline Ellison, his, uh, I guess they say on and on a on and off again, uh, girlfriend, but also the former CEO of Alameda, she was asked what Sam's ambitions were. Yeah. Did you see that? Well, we've been waiting for this moment, right? This is like a critical element to this case. Yeah. And her participation is like, you know, the make or break. I mean, the whole case is make I agree. You know, it's but a slam dunk, you think, but. Yeah, she is a key witness, yeah. absolutely, for the prosecution. Yeah. She was there. They not only worked together, and she was a top lieutenant, um, but they dated, right? And, yeah. and in fact, lived together, she said under testimony. And she took the stand, and as an <laughs> avid follower of the transcripts in the courtroom, do yeah. you want to tell us some of your— Well, so she said uh, yeah. they, they, <laughs> a, they, they asked her what her—they um, asked her what Sam's ambitions were, and she said to be president. And the, the prosecutor said, uh, president of what? And she said, the United States. <laughs> I mean, you know, can you imagine? <laughs> I, the, it, it, we're learning so much about the personality behind Sam Bankman Fried. I mean, it's it's truly, yeah, I agree. He he is some kind of hyper ambitious, but also um, introverted uh, kind of guy. Clearly delusional. I mean, president of the United States. This guy appeared in Congress uh, well before the collapse of FTX. He couldn't tie his shoes. There was yeah. a famous picture of his shoes. They were like a rat's nest. <laughs> like, you know, and I don't think you can be president if you can't tie shoes. And as your producer before the show today, I said, do you think there's value in us addressing, you know, are you addressing like the the implications for the crypto markets or the landscape of the industry? And you were kind of like, I, we've 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 done we've been there, done that a little bit. Yeah. And this is now just sort of a story about this case. And, yeah. And it's not as relevant to to the world of of cryptocurrency yeah, and markets. I, I, I've, I've really yet to see anything come out so far in the case that um, is market impactful at this point. I mean, right, the market really fully deleveraged off FTX's collapse right. over the last year. So right. um, one more thing that um, <laughs> one more thing that I wanted to read, uh, the prosecutor said to Caroline, he said, uh, why did you break up? And Ellison said, well, he wasn't spending much time with me. The prosecutor says, was it secret? I think meaning the relationship. Um, and Ellison said, at first, then he told me we could say we were living together, but no more. 
Then they immediately ask, what was your salary? Caroline says 200000 then a bonus in 2021 of $20 million. <laughs> Must be nice. By the way, I'm pretty sure that 20 million, uh, like basically everything that FTX did, uh, came from client accounts. So, so there you go. Not great. Not great. (sighs) Not not great. All right. Hey, uh, thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains. As always, everyone, let's jump right into it with Bimnet. Let's go now to our friend Bimnet, a BB from Galaxy Trading. As always, Bimnet, welcome to Galaxy Brands. Thanks for having me. So, um, like, I mean, Bitcoin and ETH are not doing great. We'll talk a little bit about any effect that we've seen from this, the attack on Israel. Um, But what is the status of markets in your view right now? Crypto markets trade heavy right now. There is a very distinct sort of uh, dislike or lack of favorability for ETH right now. ETH BTC is is down pretty meaningfully over the past month, around 10%. Some of it has been because the FTX exploiter has been, you know, T-whopping some ETH. Um, but I, I generally think it's it's has to do with a, the fundamental case for ETH as well. The lack of follow through on the ETH futures product, in addition to you know a lack of any meaningful positive catalysts um, in ETH. In addition, you know you have you know competitors and L2 tokens, etc. Um, and I like to think that you know I think Bitcoin's got a great story and it's going to outperform. It's going to be one of the better outperformers this year if you get an ETF or you know going into into Q1. And so just on a relative basis, it doesn't seem that compelling. Um, and then with broader markets, you know the main concerns were obviously around the um, events of the weekend in Israel. Um, the immediate reaction was oil jumped from you know eighty-two dollars a barrel to eighty-six. You know. And you, you had some correction in equities, and we, we've eventually bounced back. And then ultimately, it's, it's led to a little bit of a risk-off move in treasuries, and, right. and we've caught uh, a bid. And that relief in, in, in treasuries um, has helped generally support uh, you know, price action in equities. Which is like the opposite of historically how it typically yes. would be. And so now I think we go back to what was originally driving markets, which was you know, this price action in bonds, and you've got a really important data point tomorrow um, in the CPI. Right. And so, you know, I think if, if you get a, a soft number, you'll see, you know, continued relief um, on, you know, in, in, in bonds, and that should cause, you know, equities to rally. Um, high level, though, I, I think you're just at at such a weird place in markets. It the part of me is like, oh my God, there are so many things cracking. Look at credit card delinquencies, auto delinquencies. Look at the number of people that have part-time work. Look at you know wage growth, you know coming in a little bit lower. Like there's so many signs in the economy that you know we're rolling over yep. a little bit. However, uh, the structural things just have not changed uh, in the economy. Like the, there, there's going to be tons of bond supply. And the government is probably going to spend six percent of of GDP on on their deficit, you know, in in perpetuity. The labor market is still tight in terms of there's still huge uh, mismatches, you know, among you know skills uh, and and labor. Um, in addition, there's like you know nine million job openings already. We just had a huge you know yeah. surprise in in jolts, and so you know there there are signs you know, that support, you know, both arguments. Uh, and ultimately, I find myself in the camp of, you know, the curve is, has got to steepen. Uh, if you think that the economy is going to slow down, then the Fed's likely going to h- cut more and you'll get more cut pricing. That should mean that twos rally. Um, and you still have tons of long end supply. And so, you know, the curve steepens. If you think we go higher, 
um, in rates because the economy is really strong. The Fed came out this week and told you that moves in the back end, right, or effectively tighten financial conditions to right. the same extent that a rise in front end interest rate does. And so it seems like if rates are going to go higher, right, in general, we're going to get a bear steepening of the curve. And if rates are going to go lower, you're going to get a bull or a bull bear uh, steepening of the curve. So either or, it kind of seems like you're set up for, to, steepening, to, for, yeah. for steepening. And that's kind of my, my bias at, at the moment. Um, but it, it's really tricky, especially now that you've thrown in a geopolitical conflict right. on top of that. In addition, I genuinely, um, you know, I, I think the Fed's making it up as they go, just responding to these data points and stuff. And, you know, the fact that they felt obligated enough to have four, you know, five Fed speakers comment on the extent of the back end, you know, selling off, like when it's totally justified. Right. And when you're still hiking, right, you're still telling the world that, you know, you're you might need to hike, you might need to take rates more, financial conditions more restrictive, and yet you feel the need to comment that it might, like, not, like, justify hiking in the front end? Like, it's it's so messed up. And part of the interpretation of, like, why back-end yields, um, you know, have risen is yeah. because, you know, some market participants view um, the current Fed as, one, not willing to, to fight the most important battle with inflation, which is the last mile. Right. If the Fed right now is like, oh, we're close to done and they're not showing that vigor to really stamp out inflation. Mm -hmm. Right. Then that means inflation is going to be an issue in the longer run. Right. Potentially. And so I think that that's a kind of um, that's interesting. A, a, a reason for some of the, the sell off in, in the curve, because market participants like the whole 10 year paper or 30 year paper, you need to be confident that the inf you're, you're getting real returns that are meaningful. Right. Um, and so, so people are doubting the Fed's resolve here as we're in this like I am absolutely, and, and we're in this hike pause hike uh, regime right now where they're sort of, sort of sputtering along, kind of signaling they might be close to done, and yet inflation is still elevated. Although that's why you're saying big number tomorrow to see what CPI. Yeah, and it's also I mean we've we've had this discussion before, yeah. but what people still fail to realize is. The Fed is going to claim victory over getting the rate of price changes to a reasonable level. Right. Right. So that the price increases are, are somewhat more, more manageable. Right. It does not address the fact that certain aspects of the economy, like, and certain price levels have gotten to astronomical levels. Right. Right. So if rent in New York or in anywhere goes from, you know, $1,500 to $3,000, rent doubled. Right. Right. And then starts going from $3,000 to $3,100. Right. That's the a win Fed, in their mind. That's a win in their mind. <laughs> but it is yeah. absolutely nonsensical because the real incomes like haven't actually kept up right. for those price levels. Right. And so you're you're just in such a weird situation. And the Fed's gonna be quick to to you know declare victory because they have a huge issue, which yeah. is six percent of GDP uh, going towards deficits. Right, they've, they've got every to year. lower those rates if they've they can, got, as soon as they can, basically. Yeah, because... Well, they can't keep them higher for longer. They just can't. It, the it government did. will essentially bankrupt itself and... Or the Fed's going to have to just start accumulating, buying, yeah. buying the bonds. And so it's it's such a weird situation. Like, what is victory? 
Yeah. What does victory look like? We've talked about this before, too, about how, like, the you know, the a decline in inflation actually means a slowing of the growth rate of inflation. Correct. Versus, it, does not it doesn't mean, mean things go deflation. back to the way they were. Correct. Deflation. It's the, I'm thinking about that video, that great video of quantitative easing explained from Omid Malaykan, where, yeah. where they're saying, but isn't the price of milk higher than a year ago? Yes. Isn't the price of airlines higher Have than a year ago? Have you seen orange yes. juice prices? Exactly. <laughs> um, and airlines, too, just recently, too. I know the last couple CPIs, yeah. they were elevated a, a component, and, and I'm seeing that, as too, as I travel. I mean, I, prices are almost double from where they were six months ago for yeah. a basic and then, commuter I flights. I mean, we, this is another debate, but, like, are we even measuring the right things? Like, do, right. do they capture the – like, like – is the CPI basket really indicative of I mean, like what see, people like actually spend right, money there, on? You see people. Uh, there's a, there was a video that was going viral from TikTok. I saw it like downstream of TikTok on mm. Twitter um, or X.com. And it's a guy going around Costco comparing all the prices being like, dude, these are ridiculous. Yeah, way higher than they were. like, And, and not like, you know, 3 4%, no. 5%, like, you know, 20%, 50% Correct. higher. And this is, you know, Costco is a large wholesaler, wholesale, right? It's they, not a, they got the best price. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That hot dog. I don't know how they keep that hot dog at buck uh, fifty, though. I, yeah, I, 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 I think it's buck ninety nine. But did they raise I, it? No. Uh, is it buck fifty? Whatever. I think I think it was Whatever. a buck fifty. I'm not sure, but it's been flat for like decades. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tricky situation. It's um, tricky, but I just, you know, I, I, I what I want is is just a, a level of communication from the Fed that that's a little bit more. You know, factual, uh, not more factual, but just speaking to people being like, we just have like such big, they can't acknowledge the fact that I guess the the deficit spending is like totally out of control. They're not right talking now. about the deficit because right? apparently, I mean, they've got no control over that, so they, they only respond to whatever. Even it is though these go. are like revolving doors, I mean, right? The prior Fed sec Fed chairperson is treasury. now the Treasury yeah. Secretary. It's like the it's same. Insane. And they can't acknowledge to regular people the fact, the truth, which they and the government should be clear with. Prices aren't going to come down, most likely. No, they're not. They almost never do. Yeah. And in fact, the Fed's terrified of deflation as well, right? I mean, they they, they think that's a huge like impediment to growth. Like no, absolutely. Right. So like, not only won't they, they they really can't. They they don't want them to come down. But I don't think people. I mean, you hear this from both people in government. You hear it from the. We don't hear at all anything from the Fed. But yeah, declaring victory against inflation when people. It'd be great if people were clearer with. No, absolutely. But then there's just the market the, knows the, this, then though. there's just the obvious stuff that like, you know, we can this is a topic for another day, but you know, you're going to have like social unrest or social issues at some point. Like these policies in general like lead to widening like wealth inequality. Right. Right? Like if nobody can now afford a home, uh, it's like all the homeowners yeah, are going to do great. And even like the deficit right? spending and and the debt has been like a you know like a macro watchers issue but as that interest payment grows and grows it'll become a real significant issue for fiscal allocation that really does impact a lot of what they can spend money on absolutely and that that's and gonna it's like cause what are, an what issue. are the things that like people tend to cut first that you know these they don't the, cut defense first they don't cut the, the, it's like the marginal programs that right. help the needy and stuff like that and just you know it, it, it's Right, so the pain will start to be felt. You're right; there'll be more pressure over time. And it's also like, what's going to perform well? Like, like equities are going to do okay in the environment. Like, generally, like assets are going to do fine. And right. if the Fed starts cutting again, like it's assets. And then we're right back to where we were. Uh, you're going to have the inflation. The again. asset owner is uh, yeah, growing so wealthier. Here's here's the real like you know crux of the issue, um, is the risk of reinflation. Right. Right. And it's like that chart from like 70 in the 70s and Arthur 80s. Arthur Burns and Paul Volcker. Yeah. Right. Like it, it, it's 
That's how you go into like multi-decade financial and economic hardship for, as a country, right? With when you just constantly are oscillating. I mean, inflation got as high as like what twenty percent, or was that one print? How high did it get? I, I, I think very high. Though. I know interest in rates got yeah. Interest like, rates were up, up in the twenties. Yeah, yeah. And so I would think, so, you know, because that was his, that one ballpark. of his ideas too, right? That that you had to raise rates above the inflation rate. In yeah, that fundamentally, down. every yeah. time you wanted to get inflation down, you got to get it above. Right. And so it, it's a uh, yeah. It's a hard, hard issue, um, and I think that the trades are easy, um, which is you know, long Bitcoin because the fiscal stuff ain't changing anytime soon, um, and gold. And uh, you know, Paul Tudor Jones on TV, you know, yesterday making, making a, a great case um, yeah. for the two. I would recommend that that clip. Love to see Paul back out here talking about it. Yeah, let's get Paul and Galaxy Brains. Give a call. See, no, um, uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, and so. It, you know, I, I I don't know if the market has such a nuanced understanding of it. You know, frankly speaking, like I think a lot of equity investors just woke up to bonds like a month ago. Yeah. And you know what what it means, the shape of the curve, and and stuff. And so it, you know, some of these points are probably not as appreciated right now. But six months from now, nine months from now, a year from now, um, I think you know they'll come to a head. Yeah. Bimnanda Bibi from Galaxy Trading. Thanks so much, my friend. Let's go now to our guest, Tony Kai from Atomic Finance. Tony, welcome to Galaxy Brands. Happy to be here, Alex. Yeah, great to have you. And um, I've been really, I'm really excited to have you for a variety of reasons. But one that I'm very interested, in, I think, as our audience knows, about this growing culture of building other stuff on Bitcoin. Yes, and, sir. And Atomic Finance is a Bitcoin DeFi, what company? Yeah. Bitcoin DeFi company. Bitcoin DeFi company. So tell us what it is first and, and, and sure. tell, tell us about yourself, Tony. Yeah. So, yeah, Atomic Finance, um, we're all about building sound finance for sound money. Um, some people like to call it Bitcoin native DeFi, but we like to call it sound finance for sound money. Um, Love it. Basically, trying to build financial tools that are just as self-sovereign, transparent, and verifiable as Bitcoin itself. Um, and basically, our first product right now, our initial product, is um, a mobile app where folks can... Um, earn a return on a portion of their stack um, using uh, covered calls and DLCs. And so I'm sure we'll get into both of those things yeah. shortly. But um, yeah, that's kind of the high level. And basically, like, really kind of we started Atomic um, a couple of years ago when we kind of saw that, you know, hey, Bitcoin is the biggest uh, crypto asset out there, most trustless base layer, but there's no DeFi, right? Like, you know, so Bitcoiners like you and me, we have to you know, use CFI, centralized finance, custodial products that, and, you know, we, there's all sorts of counterparty risks that comes with that. It's a black box and right. that's what we kind of saw last year. Right. And so, um, yeah, like let's build out some more kind of non-custodial alternatives. Yeah. And that's kind of how we started Atomic. It's yeah. very cool. And, and you, um, you worked on Ethereum before Bitcoin. So you, yes. you came to Bitcoin from the Ethereum world. Yeah. I feel like we don't hear that very often. Um, why or how? Yeah, <laughs> how did that happen? I mean, I probably like go on for hours on about this, but it's it's been an interesting journey. I would ca categorize myself as a Ethereum DeFi dev turned Bitcoin maxi turned open minded Bitcoiner. <laughs> so I'm kind of like so basically like before uh, we were building this kind of ETH DeFi product, it was like cross chain lending product and all that kind of stuff, and basically just around DeFi summer time when you know yield farms were 
you know, everybody's was setting up their yield farming and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was you an know, exciting time. Yeah, it, it was. The it was, yams, the poor yams, yes. they failed. <laughs> I remember yams quite well. It's one of my favorite projects. Yeah. But, um, what a saga. Basically, like, it was just like, I was kind of like, I remember myself, like, I was like sitting in my office. I was like, kind of like, that was also when I just read kind of the Bitcoin standard. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, interesting. There's something unique here about Bitcoin that, you know, I don't think Ethereum or what have you is able to replicate in terms of, you know, how decentralized it is. And, and basically, and it's kind of like weird because it's like, okay, all this money printing is happening. And that kind of goes against what I see as one of the big value props for Bitcoin, right? Yep. The hard cap and, and whatnot. And so it was just like, okay, well, does it make sense to keep, you got you know, pretty well orange pilled. It sounds yeah, like, yeah, I guess I did. Right. Yeah. Like, so I guess, you know, I got pretty well orange pilled and I was like, I, I don't think this makes sense to kind of play the yield farming game to stay in the game because that's that was the game the at the game. time. Yeah, too, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, um, yeah, so we decided to kind of do a little bit of a pivot um, and kind of look on the Bitcoin side to see, OK, well, what is there on Bitcoin that we can possibly build on to kind of um, build out DeFi tools and whatnot? Um, and that's kind of how we encountered DLCs. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about DLCs yeah. too. Uh, but I have more on this ETH sure. Bitcoin journey and yeah. story. But let's go. Well, <laughs> we mentioned DLCs. Let's explain really what you guys are doing and what sure. DLCs are. So, um, discrete log contracts. That's what they're called, right? Discrete DLCs. Log what What is this? Yeah. So they're this concept. Um, it actually emerged out of um, so Taj Dreja. He is one of the co-writers of the Lightning Paper. Yeah. yeah. Um, DLCs is kind of his baby. Uh, it came out of his. His research um, during what that didn't time. Todd do? He's got know, UTXO. Right? He's got he's lightning paper with Joe Poon. I yeah. mean, I saw him actually uh, a couple weeks ago in Nashville. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. He's great. He works with David Marcus at Lightspark yes. now. I yes. mean, this guy is a Bitcoin he's everywhere. genius. But he's a, I, I would say he's a bit of an unsung hero. I, I think it's not, just not sung. I don't know why it's not <laughs> yeah, sung. I, I mean, when you see people, the guy, he literally yeah. invented lightning, basically. Yes. Like, I mean, exactly. among other awesome stuff. Anyway, yeah. I'm just chuckling because I agree. He, he Todd is epic. He was at MIT's Digital Currency Initiative for years. That's how I knew him. And mm-hmm. um, I just, yeah, just all, I, I didn't know he had anything to do with DLCs, but now you're telling me this yeah. is also one of his projects. This is also one of his projects. Okay, so, so yeah. not to interrupt. Sorry. Go, so no worries. What, yeah. um, but so basically, um, the idea behind DLCs is that they enable um, peer-to-peer, quote-unquote, smart contracts. Now, they're not the exact same kind of smart contracts that you can see on Ethereum. Um, and there's some trade-offs. So, for example, um, you know, I mean, the simple thing about DLCs is that you can use it to encode the uh, financial instruments like futures contracts and options contracts. For mm-hmm. us, we decided to use them for options contracts. But basically, like... If you compare it to something like Ethereum smart contracts, uh, well, basically, there, you can't do any pooling of funds. So, you know, you can't do a so unit Everything's like bilateral. Yes. Yeah. There's always two counterparties, yep. right? Um, so peer-to-peer. Um, you can't do like a compound finance model where, you know, you're pooling funds. But basically, like, the trade-off is that, well, with that, you don't get any sort of honeypot attacks at, uh, at the same time. They're very on-chain. The on-chain footprint is very, very simple. Uh, and clean. It's just like a two of two multi-sig on chain mm-hmm. uh, with an oracle attached to it. So basically, you can use it to represent any sort of financial instrument um, that uh, depends on some kind of real world outcome. So be- between like a dealer and a client, for mm-hmm. example, like I can buy an option from some party, some yes. whatever, and they can sell it to me. And then 
a third party oracle just determines the outcome and yes. then releases the funds one way or the other or whatever. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. So it's it's yeah. multi sig. Yeah. With oracles. Exactly. And you're saying that together can let you do a lot of interesting stuff. Yes. Yes. And it's and it's if it is peer to peer, it's not just that there's no it's a good for human honeypot. Like so, from a security standpoint, it's yeah. better. It's also private. Like yes. you're not like going to a. You might be able to see some footprint on chain when you, if you examine the entire blockchain, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's not like you just like go to like app.uniswap.org and like look yep. at it, right? Like because exactly. it's every it's like I could just have one right now. Me and Phineas, he could owe me money. We could set a thing. I give him a, you know, a a, a a a plan to pay me back over a period of time with mm -hmm. interest. And if he doesn't do it, the oracle seizes his uh, collateral or whatever. Yep. Exactly. You're that Phineas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're doing options what mm -hmm. explain the covered calls with this scenario here what sure. what people are doing for so basically like um in our initial v1 um folks are able to enter basically a cover call passive strategy um so with cover calls let's start with the cover call yeah. first so cover calls um they're a type of option strategy where basically folks are able to earn a, a premium or earn a return by selling um upside on their bitcoin um and so uh, you know, with options, uh, uh, you know, there's a bunch of different strategies yeah, in oh terms yeah, of, sure. uh, you know, you can, you know, kind of a conservative income generating strategy like cover calls. There's also, of course, like speculative strategies, like long options like that. Um, we chose cover calls first because they are um, one of the most conservative strategies out there in terms of options um, because you always um, end up either with more Bitcoin or you end up with a stack Bitcoin stack that's worth more in dollars, right? Um, and so there's no risk of like liquidation. There's no risk of like getting wiped out or anything like that. And so that's the cool thing about cover calls. They're one of the more conservative strategies out there. And they're very kind of commonly used um, income generating strategy in TradFi with stocks and other assets as well. Mm -hmm. um, where uh, we, uh, how we decided to kind of implement it initially was we wrapped um, uh, cover calls in basically a passive strategy where basically it's more like a one-click, almost like a DeFi vault, mm -hmm. if, if, if for folks who are familiar with that. Um, basically, one-click, send Bitcoin in there, and then basically it kind of relies on a um, automated passive um, algorithm to basically enter into covered calls. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, moving forward, kind of like we're looking at different ways for folks to be able to, um, you know, do manual options for folks who are a bit more adventurous. Right. Um, but initially, we found that you know, with our early adopters, um, folks who t tend to care about non-custodial—they're not necessarily you know, traders per right. se. Right. Um, right. And so, you know, we wanted to make something a bit more simple and passive. Yeah, initially. it's very interesting, yeah. and it is the type of stuff. Of course, it's, it, mm -hmm. it makes a lot of that that a lot of people did do in DeFi, right? Or, and ha certainly had done, right? Just generating yield mm -hmm. off collateral. Yes. The way they're doing it there primarily is putting it in a pool and letting people, other people pay to borrow it back from the pool, mm -hmm. take it from the pool. Um, like you said, that's that's been hacked a lot and it's yes. risky and it's it's just different, right? Yeah. Covered call strategy is very interesting. It seems very fitting for a, a very peer-to-peer -peer setup too because you can just replicate it. Like you don't have to have – everyone doesn't have to be in the same strategy, right? Mm -hmm. They're in the same exact – pool um are you seeing uh in interest then so like how, how does one so i have an app mm -hmm. you have an app 
Yes. So if I want to do this, I can go into the app and it's like basically a wallet and it says send yep. Bitcoin here and then like push go or whatever. Pretty much. And yeah. and then on chain that be, that Bitcoin gets put into one of these two of two multi sigs yep. that. And who are the holders then? Am I one of the holders? Yes. So the user is one of the holders, and then the other holder would be the our market maker that we work. Whoever with. the counterparty yes. ends up being exactly to, to sell for this trade. Yeah. And then the oracle, do, do they so it's not a it's a two of two. The oracle doesn't have a key like or no. So, so how do, so they just tell what you guys like or who 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 do they report to the oracle? They they basically like make an attestation, yeah. and then basically the the DLC is able to kind of. Use that attestation to release the funds. Oh wow! Basically. Yeah. So there's a cryptographic. They're unlocking the key. Yes. A little bit here. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah. it is it's not the. It sounds almost like a, like a thresholded two of three or three of three. But you're saying that it isn't actually, and this is maybe beyond my technical. It's, it is a yeah. two of two, but there's it's, two of two. A, it's like a lightning channel where the attestations yeah. get like part of the the script that unlocks the coin one way or another. Exactly. Yeah, well, what's what's uh, different between this and say a two of three is that if there's a if say like the the oracle they disappear. Yeah. Um, well, then basically, like you have a refund clause, and then basically both both parties can get their original amounts back, and so you kind of protect against that edge case. I see, yeah, because yeah. if they disappear now, me and the or me and the counterparty have to collaborate to get our funds back, like because we're the two of three now, right? Yeah, and, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it sounds yeah. really interesting. Are people uh, like, is it if people using this thing? I mean, it's a simple thing. Like, are you yeah. seeing good adoption of this product? It seems. I mean, earning passive yield in a relatively conservative way and mm -hmm. in a, you know, at least partially non-custodial way, right, mm -hmm. is, that sounds pretty compelling. Yeah. Um, so we're we're in beta right now. Um, so we're uh, on Apple Test Flight. Um, and so getting our approval at the moment with, with the App Store. But yeah, like so far, um, uh, basically lots of interest uh, from from Bitcoiners um, around, all around, um, in, in trying to, trying out this product with a part of their stack. Um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, DLCs, completely new concept. You know, nine out of yeah, ten you gotta Bitcoiners. You got to do a lot of have, explaining, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's a bit of like, that's the tough thing about, you know, doing something very different from the status quo, right? right? Like people are always going to question what what is this? In particular in Bitcoin too, right? I mean, at other communities. People are very skeptical yeah, in other, space. Other people, <laughs> other communities yeah. are more um, willing to try new things and yes. innovative. Bitcoin is very conservative. Yes. Um, well, maybe that might be changing slightly in terms of the ordinals movement. Yeah, I don't know if the <laughs> the conservative Bitcoiners yes, are changing, but a lot true. of other new people yeah. are coming in and becoming Bitcoiners with different ideas, I agree. Yes. So, um, yes. and I, so it is changing yeah. on balance, I think, the culture, but I, I, it's mm -hmm. still quite true. It's also one of the best things about Bitcoin that it's yes. hard to, but yes, that, that presents, I can see a challenge. You got to do a lot of education and, and, and outreach to explain how it works yes. and explain the safety. I definitely think when you compare to the CFI of last year and mm -hmm. that we, we mentioned like this is a very compelling response to the stuff that happened to a lot of Bitcoiners who to your point like you can't there wasn't anywhere if you wanted yield right mm -hmm. you either had to use a different you couldn't use your Bitcoin I mean, you could theoretically try to wrap it in some way but mostly people went to all the centralized lenders yeah. many of whom collapsed yeah well, like because they weren't transparent, and it's not, and they're or they were pooled, or yeah. they were. Some of them were even hacked. Some uh, of them abroad. were even just going and, I think, playing around in some. DeFi. Like just taking the money and doing something yeah. else with it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. this is much more transparent and decentralized. Yeah, I think like one of the issues um, that we saw um, was that there was a bit of a complacency with certain Bitcoiners, where yeah, like basically to do 
you know, you either hodl your Bitcoin, and that's obviously fully self-sovereign, or if you do want to do something, I guess you just have to do that custodially. Right. And there was kind of like almost like a acceptance or like complacency kind of like, okay, well, that's just the way it is. You know, right. That's Bitcoin. And I think that, you know, um, last year has taught us a lot of very valuable lessons around, you know, when you don't kind of know what's actually going on underneath, like where your returns and yields are coming from, well, then you should be a little bit skeptical, right? Yeah. And basically like, Bitcoin's designed to be programmable money, but all of the things that collapsed last year didn't use the programmable feature, right? Like, right, right. right. It was a it was a tradfi setup for, and for for you know Bitcoin, which is meant to be this kind of new age of money, right? So true. Like they just they just took the <laughs> yeah. yeah they just took the extremely powerful programmable money and just had it sit there. Yes, exactly. And, and then they built a bunch of tradfi lending stuff around it well it was worse than tra- well, it, was it was much worse actually. it was worse than tradfi because well in some ways because first of all you don't have like the regulatory frameworks uh, like that we have in tradfi well, let's be real i would trust like fidelity with my money more than any of these like yes. lending startups yes in fact i was yeah. talking about this here's another thing too let's step back a little because mm-hmm. i want to think about the DeFi um ecosystem and sure. and value proposition just generally as a concept yeah. DeFi, right mm-hmm. and you know you have the you have the curve founder Right, who had to? Nice. Um, he had some loans on this on his curve tokens, and that became an issue recently or whatever, because the curve there was what there was a brief vulnerability, and then the thing and whatever the curve tokens were going down. He had to sell some, but his were tied up in a lot of DeFi. He had borrowed dollars or stables off of his curve tokens, right? So he mm-hmm. had to, so everyone's watching to make sure he doesn't get liquidated and all that, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah, which yeah, is yeah. the transparency is very exciting. I'll yes. say that, and I'm and I think probably a good thing, mm-hmm. but exciting no doubt to watch these. Anyway, though, <laughs> the thing I said was. Mm-hmm. If Fidelity had accepted, or anyone, I'm just using Fidelity as like an mm-hmm. upright traditional institution because um, I worked there. But um, if they had accepted, you know, done securities lending, offered securities lending on Curve tokens, I'm sure he'd have preferred to go there. Mm-hmm. I would, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and the sort of the corollary to this point is that like DeFi is not challenging TradFi today. Mm-hmm. DeFi is basically, well, there's some assets that we can't do anything with, so let's build our own place to do it with. Mm-hmm. We're not bringing in, no one's coming to DeFi because they can't do something here. Um, there was a whole thing when yields existed in DeFi, although most of them was where did the yeah. yield come from, right? Mm-hmm. Mostly like token printing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but now there's also better yields in TradFi, so no one's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have people that own these assets that they can't use in TradFi. Yeah. So that's the market for DeFi today. Yeah. Do you think that ever changes? Does DeFi merge with TradFi? Does TradFi come use DeFi or whatever? Or is there, are we destined to have these crypto people with tokens that J- GS and the banks won't lend them on? Yeah. Well, you're going to have to use compound finance or whatever, or Curve. Yeah. I think that's a great question. I think like it's one of those things where I think that if there is – um, some kind of incentive for like, uh, you know, some of these TradFi institutions to, and they get some kind of, if, if a lot of their customers are crypto natives, they start demanding it, then I think that's going to They probably will. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. but without that, yeah. I mean, like, why, right. why would they? But right? so then because, if they do, if they yeah. do add it, then you don't need the DeFi for it, really. I, you know, I mm-hmm. I think there are really good ways um, when it comes to DeFi, mm-hmm. the transparency, knowing for sure yeah. what the rules are, right? Yes. Like the risk management is very – it's easy to do risk management in that way because you know exactly the level you are liquidated. 
some people say, well, you know, it's responsible in the financial system to be able to call up the lender and like wiggle out of it a little bit if need right. be. Like the, the, we need that flex in the finance. Mm-hmm. Well, you you have that flex. You just there's still a point where it's automatically because you know where it's liquidated. You know the exact LTV you have to maintain, mm-hmm. and you know with certainty the system what how it will act. Mm-hmm. Different things. Well, then you just build the buffer above that. You have the flexibility above that point, right? Like mm-hmm. so, and that that's very powerful. But again, so there are reasons why like finance could be great in DeFi mm-hmm. and should be. But I agree. Like if the TradFi adds adds yeah. support for the assets, that's sort of my point. Is that DeFi is really just tools for these specific assets. Mm-hmm. If we if 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 other types of tools like the brokerage firms everyone already uses mm-hmm, mm-hmm. would let you put those assets there. I think a lot of people would. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're really yeah. at like the step function increase yet in DeFi's um, capabilities mm-hmm. and value proposition to actually say, you know what? No, I don't want to do the lending through this. I would actually prefer to be on chain. Mm-hmm. But this plays the same thing, right? I mean, you've got Bitcoiners with Bitcoin and nowhere yeah. to do anything with it safely and transparently. Exactly. So there's yeah. clearly a market. And obviously, mm-hmm. DeFi is a pretty big market in crypto anyway. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's what I really struggle with wondering, like, the long-term outcome here of does, like, DeFi become just, like, some of the underlying financial plumbing and, like, we still just have, like, the counterparties still run the industry, basically? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. I think, like, as more of the clients that you know some of these stratify companies are dealing with you know become crypto natives and become like bitcoin holders then i think that like there's really kind of no reason why i don't see them demanding more transparency because of you know all the hard lessons that we're learning as a space right, right. now, no matter how reputable the TradFi firm yeah, is, because because there's no bailouts in Bitcoin, yeah. right? Yeah. Like basically, like if there's a giant mess up, you know, Uncle Sam's not gonna right <laughs> compensate you for that's it, the value right? proposition. So, exactly, <laughs> there's and no so, Fed backstop on Bitcoin, and so I think that um, you Satoshi know Satoshi doesn't pop out and like print another twenty one million coins. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so so I think that like you know folks who are crypto natives and you know know about you know these kind of characteristics of Bitcoin, they're gonna be the ones demanding yeah. more transparency and, and what have you. And from, and that group folks. of people is growing too, right? Yes, the oh, absolutely. That, so yeah. in, in in that way too, uh, it's not just the transparency, but it's the non-custodial nature too, right? Like that, that's really important in your yeah. design. Yeah. Um, is that philosophical or is that practical or is it both? I think that it's definitely we were definitely coming in at it with like philosophical kind of angle. Like how does this mesh with our vision for what Bitcoin's like, like uh, Bitcoin's gonna be. Like for us, like we came into Bitcoin and crypto space because of the programmable money aspects of it, where basically like, you know, this is something, this is a form of money that you don't need to trust a a counterparty or or a a central party to kind of hold and and use, right? Mm And so basically, but where does that, where does that boundary of use, where, where should that be? Because right now, like, you can use it in the sense that you can send it to someone else without trusting a counterparty. But, right. okay, but there's also- There's other stuff. Other stuff that you can do with money generally. Yeah. You know, if for Bitcoin to be a bona fide financial asset, well, there needs to be financial tools built on Bitcoin. And so far, all those financial tools have been centralized- and custodial and as we kind of know you know beyond the black box point as well like um you know custodial bitcoin is uh 
fairly easy to confiscate, fairly easy to freeze. And so, you know, to the extent that we can build a alternative that allows folks who want to do it non-custodially to be able to do so, I think that's super crucial um, to give that alternative. Love that, you yeah. Know? And it is, I think that is at the core of a Bitcoin value proposition in the scheme Absolutely. of things. Yeah. I always say like, you know, you can hold your Bitcoin at a custodian or you might yeah. buy the ETF, right? And yeah. that's totally fine. There's, there's different places, reasons, trade-offs mm -hmm. to make here and there, but that it is essential that, well, every person should know how to self-custody if they don't. Mm -hmm. I actually think everyone should have a minimum of some Bitcoin in self-custody because that's actual Bitcoin. Yes. If, if you're it's totally- It's not paper Bitcoin. It's not paper yeah. Bitcoin. And by the way, you can use yeah. it on the Bitcoin network, okay? Yeah. I can't send you my ETF shares globally on Lightning, Yeah. right? So yeah. like, it's not useful in the same way. Um, but I think that, and the same is true, I think when you think about- um, when you think about DeFi here as well, right? Like I, you may not want to use it for this, but you sometimes should. And, and, the, and the, maintaining the optionality, this is what I was going to say, maintaining yes. the optionality. Yeah. And by the way, aggressively lobbying for that protection in law, mm -hmm. right? Like I don't care necessarily if um, everyone self-custodies, but I, I care very much that everyone can self-custody. Because yes. that's that exit valve that's the check on the system. Yes, exactly. Like basically like for... Um, you know, if we're talking about Bitcoin as digital gold, well, okay, what happened with gold, right? Okay, folks can store it easily, but if you wanted to use it as collateral for a loan, right? If you wanted to well, you put it on like a horse-drawn carriage and yeah. cart it down to the bank, <laughs> yeah. it's heavy. Yeah, well, that's that was the advantage that Bitcoin gave us because it was a lot more portable and right. you know divisible and all that kind of stuff. But then with with gold, like to do you know financial tools with it, you obviously had to give it to a custodian. You had to you know, and trust them with it and you get back your, you know, your paper gold or what have you. And basically that's currently the status quo for Bitcoin as well. We did not improve on that so right, far. Right. Um, and but it's much more programmable. Surely we must have well, ways. <laughs> well, DLCs. <laughs> there you go. I know. I know. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. But um, so, you know, like, I think that we should be pushing the boundaries more of some of the programmable aspects of Bitcoin that are still underexplored. Um, and should be explored. Yeah, you know. Have um, you looked into um, uh, like how deep are you in like Taproot, Tabscript type stuff that people somewhat. were? Yeah. I mean, it's it's this is really ad yeah. elite advanced stuff. But like Rob mm -hmm. Hamilton at Anchor Watch yeah. is a friend. He's been on the show a couple times. Yeah. Or once once on the show. And um, like have you seen his mini script? Have you seen all the stuff on mini script? I have content? seen some. I mean, yeah. it's 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 really actually incredible how powerful Bitcoin script actually is. It's just very difficult. Yes. Mini script makes it a lot easier. And I mean, Rob's coming up with like incredible, like decaying multi-sigs, multi-threshold decaying mm -hmm. multi-sigs, big mm -hmm. giant quorums that have sub-quorums and like, like, which apparently you can actually already do. It's just like, Didn't it was that. too complicated <laughs> to even yeah. develop without using Miniscript, the, right. the, which is the like sort of higher level language that Andrew Polster created. Right. Um, literally, you can do a lot of what people thought we needed covenants for and okay. like Opsy TV, not all of it, obviously, right. but like you can do a lot. Um, again, so raising, you talk about pushing the boundaries of Bitcoin's yeah. programmability, like there are a lot of people working on that now. It makes me really happy. Yeah. We don't have to have the, the debate about what's good and bad to do on Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not talking about, really I'm talking about using stuff you can do on Bitcoin right now. I'm not, yeah. forget like what we want. Uh, we're not calling for an upgrade. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm saying <laughs> you can actually, Bitcoin is highly programmable money. Uh -huh. um, and But a lot of people really are just stacking and hodling, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But like, it really doesn't have the builder hasn't had Bitcoin the builder culture that say Ethereum has to have a lot of other people build other things 
using a lot of these tools. I mean, there's literally op codes no one uses. Like, yeah, I mean, that's coming from Ethereum as a builder there. Yeah. Like that was definitely something I noticed in terms of the difference in culture, right? Like in Ethereum, uh, I mean, say what you will about obviously the quality of the base layer, how decentralized it is and these kinds of things. Sure. But in terms of the culture, um, you know, there was very much a kind of builder centric culture, encouraging experimentation, lots of hackathons, lots of grants and these kinds of things, ex encouraging folks to try different things um, in, in, and, and innovate, really. Mm -hmm. um, and in Bitcoin, definitely is less of that, yeah. right? Like, even if we just look at... Um, and obviously, there is great stuff, right? Yeah. Like, but it's not nearly as much, I would not say. Not at the same level. Right? I yeah. mean, you have great stuff. Pleb. Hopefully, we can encourage more and Yeah, like, you have, like, Pleb5 and Jeremy yes. uh, Rubin's thing. You have yes. Tab uh, Bitcoin++. Plus Plus and yes. like tabconf there mm -hmm. you have wolf incubator i mean there's plenty yes. you have all the and it's growing yeah it's yeah. growing but yeah. i agree right it's i think it's quite different and and it's because also i think people looked at bitcoin and said well you can't really it's bitcoin it's for that one thing and you can't really program that much on it that's yeah. what they would say it's just well, not true most, but it's just not true yeah and it's not true i mean when i was in we Ethereum don't have down. persistent like yeah. state like smart contracts yes that's what we don't have that's yes. but it's still highly programmable yes i mean when i was like uh, in the Ethereum ecosystem, um, that was like the narrative around Bitcoin. Oh, it's just a shiny rock. You right. They call it a pet rock. Yeah, pet rock. Exactly. <laughs> Rolling my eyes to yeah, the, yeah. Audio, uh, <laughs> the audio audience. Um, yeah. It's just, so what else have you noticed, by the way, for this trend? And, and, or, and also, what yeah. else are your thoughts about Ethan versus Bitcoin? We, yeah. I, I just we're personally usually I'm personally of the view that they're not competitive. So I don't mm -hmm. like the two very different projects. And yes. So I don't usually. But like, I, how do you think about them? I think that, like, um, I mean, there's the dev angle, uh, like dev, like tooling and all that kind of stuff is way like very advanced, very advanced. Uh, yeah. And there was the money to do that, partially because of how they launched Ethereum, sure. right? And and so basically, like, uh, you know, that side of things is very well developed in Ethereum and easier to get started as a developer. I mean, you can be a, a JavaScript developer, and JavaScript's you know basically every computer science student learns how to do yeah. JavaScript these days. Um, and you can be a JavaScript developer and basically start programming Ethereum Solidity smart contracts that can move millions of dollars. Right. right. It's pretty crazy, actually. So, it's, so from a dev culture, it's, it's easy e to onboard. It's easy to onboard, yeah. that's for sure. But, of course, um, that comes with the well, drawbacks. Then you have, then you have a bunch of junior JavaScript developers making yeah. <laughs> permissionless finance yeah. apps that, that break are, and yeah. Yeah, that are losing people millions or even hundreds right. of millions. There's of a lot dollars. of risk there. There's yep. a lot of risk. So there's a trade off there. Uh -huh. So I, I think that, you know, what we really need to kind of push harder on on the Bitcoin side of things is bringing back the spirit of experimentation, you know, and, you know, kind of encouraging folks to try different use cases out. Because on Bitcoin, I think like, I'm a product person, so I think about things from a product perspective. Bitcoin has reached product market fit with being a store of value asset, something that people can easily buy and hold, right? And hopefully, and wait for a number to go up and these kinds of things. Um, I think that, um, but like, why don't we kind of explore, um, you know, whether we can uh, get product market fit in other areas in Bitcoin as well, right? Like, obviously, we have the ordinals movement and, you know, the collectibles and whatnot. And, mm -hmm. you know, why can't Bitcoin also serve as a DeFi layer, right? Um, and so, you know, we don't want to be... Because, you like, the thing I sometimes worry about is, like, 
what if we stick to the status quo with this, you know, oh, this is something you just buy and hodl and wait for number go up. But what if, because we're constrained by that narrative, we hit a local maximum and mm-hmm. we don't actually get reach the full potential for right. Bitcoin. Like, right. Because like, okay, th- I, like what, take another decentralized protocol, the internet, right? The first use cases uh, were obviously a much, very small subset of the current use cases. And because we allow folks to experiment with different use cases and try new things, obviously that brought more people onto the internet because I was like, hey, that's a useful thing. And we right? end up so far from ARPANET, like sending exactly. messages from like Cal Berkeley or <laughs> exactly. That's it for this week's episode of Galaxy Brains. Thanks to our guest, Tony Kai from Atomic Finance and Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. As always, everyone have a great weekend and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email. Read our content at galaxy.com slash research and follow us on Twitter at GLXY Research. See you next week.